Hello, and welcome to episode 107 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Super fidgety today. (laughs) Today is Thursday, January 19th, 2023. That still sounds weird. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's it's pretty good. 2023 sounds like a dystopian. It's the future. <laughs> the future is here. But it has stopped raining. We have made it through the atmospheric river. It's now just cold. Yeah, but it's sweater weather. Yes. So. Very true. It's good. We can, we can definitely deal with that. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. So things are getting, you know, back to normal. The kids are back in school. I love mid-January. It's nice. It still I don't feels like, all fresh. I don't f- love the beginning of January and all the pressure. You know, we're here for business casual f- goals. <laughs> I love the mid-month where you can really take a breath and all the holiday stuff is put away and you can really look at the year ahead. Some people are good about that and do it right after Christmas. Clearly, I am not. We, we all take things at our own pace. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, today's going to be, well, actually, we're not even just a regular episode, but we will have On the Needles, On the Easel, and On the Table, and then we will finally be doing our Smitten Kitchen Keepers review, and then we will have On the Nightstand. Yeah, so On the Needles, it has been a fun couple of weeks. So many finished objects. Very exciting. And you're wearing one. I know. Sneak peek. It's so beautiful. Spoiler alert. It's the most beautiful color, and it is a very super cute, flattering fit. Thank you. Courtney is talking about my cozy classic raglan by Jessie Made Designs, which I had started last time. And this was my yarn that I had picked up when we did our field trip to Ro- the Royal Bee in Pacifica on our little field trip last November. And they had this beautiful pink fingering weight yarn. It's just this very light, pale ballet pink. I just, I wanted it. And so I bought it because it was a field trip and I felt like I should. I just had this vision of what I wanted to do with it. Cozy Classic Raglan has been around for a few years and it's a ve- it, it is exactly what it says. It's a classic raglan sweater. And so I thought about making it. There's a ton of people have, have done this pattern. I had been trying to think what yarn I would use for it and I never had a really good answer. It is made to be knit with fingering and then like a mohair held double. So there was that, lots of things. But then I just, I thought this is what I want. I want a soft, fluffy, basic pink sweater. So I went home and bought some neighborhood fiber company loft in Victorian Village, which is also a light ballet pink. And I started knitting right after Christmas. And it's just, it's great. You knit it on a, at a fairly decent size gauge. So it goes, even though it's small yarn, it goes pretty quickly. And we've been watching a lot of TV. So that really helped. It has Courtney's favorite cast on and bind off the tubular cast on and bind off, which is a pain in the butt to do, I will say, but But it looks so squishy and delicious. And it's very elasticated, right? It is. Well, it's interesting, because the first time I made it, I did it with, I think it was worsted weight yarn, and it was plenty stretchy. And then I did it for something different. 
and it was super tight and I couldn't figure out what I had done wrong. So then I just, I had ripped that out and just did a regular bind off. So I was hesitant about doing it this time, but she said it is a little bit less stretchy than you might be used to with, with okay. a, a quote normal bind off. But I thought, let me try because the rest of the pattern, like the cast on was great. It's plenty stretchy. So I figured I'd try. I mean, worst comes to worst, I rip it out and just do a regular bind off. And I think maybe what I had done, because you do a, uh, it's too complicated, but you, you create some extra fabric in between your stitches, and then you are essentially grafting it together every other stitch, like you would the toe of a sock. It looks like brioche from here. Oh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, the sleeve is just ribbing. Um, but the, the space between, I mean, I know it isn't. Yeah. But the space between on the collar, the collar is like a little bit raised and it's like the perfect, it's not a super tight crew neck. It's a, it's like a jewel neck. Yeah. It's a nice, she did a, a good amount of stitches on that. It's, it might be look simple, but it's really simply elegant and it's. Which is why it takes a little bit of extra time yeah, to do it. Yeah. But I think I had been kind of yanking on the stitches to make sure mm. everything, because with a sock, you want your toe to be super tight and closed. And with this, you want to keep the ribbing and the stretchiness of it. So as long as I remembered to not yank on my stitches, it turned out fine. I can feel it's a little bit more snug than, than maybe a, a traditional bind off would be, but it works great. Uh, it's very warm because it is uh, a fingering and a mohair. And the mohair is, is keeping me very cozy, but it is it is quite chilly today. So I love it's it. It's fine. It's perfect. It, it does makes... need to be blocked, but I was just like, eh, whatever. I'm wearing it. Yeah, it makes me want to knit something, nice. which is saying something. <laughs> you have some things you can work on, or you could start something new. Many possibilities. The other thing I finished was uh, a quick little baby hat that I, I threw in there. Cousin's cousin had a grandchild, or I guess their child. Anyway, you know, you get the, the relationship. We got a Christmas card, and I realized there was a new baby in the family, and they live in the area we'd been to their wedding. So I was like, ah, I'll make them a hat. So I did the Antler Toque by Tin Can Knits, and because I had all this leftover uh, Knit Picks Bravo Worsted from the blanket that I made Boy One, and it's totally washable. I had started a completely different hat in leftover yarn from my rainbow sweater, and it looked beautiful. And I, as I was knitting it, I was like, this is not machine washable. I can't do that to these people. It just felt like the wrong choice to send new parents that I don't know that well, something that had to be hand washed, even though it's a hat. But like if the baby starts chewing on it or something, you just, I didn't want to do that to them. So I, I pulled it out, which was very sad, but it, it's fine. Grab this yarn. Uh, I did it in the current. So it's the dark red color and sent it off to them. And I think they are pleased with it. So it was awesome. Baby hats are so great. Super simple. It's a little uh, cable pattern. So that was fun for me as well. And Tin Can Knits patterns are just fantastic. And it's amazing. Like they keep the cables going all through the top and the, the decreases. Very impressive. And then I had my Wintertide socks uh, by Sivia Harding. Had I started this last time? Mm -hmm. Yes. With the, the one with the little star on the toe? Yep. Yes. Yeah. So this was a mystery knit along. Um, the yarn is from Mustache Yarn. Their Everyday DK in Homecoming, which is uh, the striping yarn. And then the contrast color that I got was Amy, which is a blue. And it was a Little Women themed 
yarn set, I guess. Uh, and I think it's still available on their website. It was earlier in the week anyway. So yeah, so it's it was toe-up socks in DKY yarn, went very quickly. Mostly just a basic toe-up sock. And then at the top, there's a little cable section and then a little bit of ribbing. And then you get to embroider snowflakes all over the sock as much as you want. And within the cable, it makes a little frame and you put snowflakes up around your ankle. It's really pretty, super fun. And you get to, you know, be creative with where you place your snowflakes. So some people did a ton of them. The example, she had them marching in a straight line all the way up the front of the sock. I didn't feel like doing quite that many. So I just have about five or six on the leg. And then there's one on the heel and one on the toe. And they're very comfy, cozy. And that was a really fun little knit along. Excellent. And now I have nothing on the needles. What? Well, I mean, I've got some random works in progress, but like one of them is Christmas socks, like in a red and green striping pattern, which I don't know, that's really what I want to be knitting right now. Yeah. So I don't know. I have some sweater ideas kicking around. I might do some hats for charity as kind of a palette cleanser because I don't know exactly what else I want to be knitting. We shall see. Mm. What is on the easel? Well, first, I have some sewing. Oh, exciting. We have a big event this weekend. After searching too too long for a really fancy dress for it, I decided to make myself a pair of fancy pants. I really love dressy pants. And so I had this fabric that... I think I got at the creative reuse place and it was just enough to make a pair of wide leg dressy pants. And it is kind of like a viscose rayon type material, very forgiving to sew. It has like a tiny bit of crinkle to it. So if you have to rip out stitches, the fabric heals itself because sometimes if you take it apart, you can tell. Anyway, these pants I, I'm not the greatest at trousers, and so I feel like the fabric is so wonderful and forgiving that it's allowing me to be an intermediate trouser maker. They're going to be totally wearable. I'm going to do like a seven-eighths hem on them so that you can see my very fancy high heel gold shoes. Ooh. Well, you got to dress them up somehow. Yeah. And then I have like a rhinestone button for the front of the trouser, you know, to button on the outside. They aren't perfect. They're, you know, if you inspected the inside, you'd definitely tisk many of my errors. But when they're on, I think they're great for an event. I will wear them again. Cool. So that feels really good as opposed to buying a a really, I don't know, I'm not a ball gown person. Yeah. And I know that this is going to be, there are going to be some people who tisk the fancy pants for a, a formal event, but I'm doing it anyway <laughs> because I need to be authentic somehow and in this and, and comfortable. Yeah. And, and I just feel like this is such a better way for me to show up to a big event. I'm always impressed at people that wear fancy pants because I you. never feel like I can carry it off. I've not figured out how to do it yet, so... I just don't Life goals. love dr dresses. Yeah. So this is a great compromise for me. And then, <laughs> full disclosure, I was going to make a top 
then I sort of ran out of time. So I found a velvet A-line sheath dress that I'm totally going to crop and then maybe do a little riching on the side. And I might, if I have a moment of bravery, I might do more of like a V-neck on it because it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird scoop on the collar. So we'll see. But I feel like the velvet with these pants, mm-hmm. like it's the right texture. The velvet dresses it up and it has kind of a bell sleeve on it. Ooh. And if the bell sleeve drives me crazy, then I can come home and cut the bell sleeve off and have a short sleeve velvet t-shirt. Yeah. Ish t- top. You're going to be um, so fancy. So I am just proud of myself for, I, I tried on one dress and I opened the door and I had a friend in the in the waiting room and I said I it was like a Jessica McClintock dress and it had a velvet v-neck top to it but then it it was like gathered and I, I said you know those dolls that you like put on top of the toilet paper roll <laughs> and her dress hangs over the edge that is how I feel right now Aww. so not me at all and I'm so glad that I am gonna just own the pants yeah wear the pants So that's my big sewing thing. But I have to tell you that in searching for fabric for this whole project, I bought a lot of other fabrics. So you're going to hear my goal is to make one thing a month for the rest of the year. Is that a goal or an idea? That is a goal. And I'm going to put it in the like my little yearly accountability calendar and try to... To really do that. I feel better about goals this week than I did on when we recorded on the 6th or what have you. So that's my, that's what's on the sewing machine. On the easel, I'm having equal fun. So one of my ideas for the year was to do a portrait every month. And I have been wanting to do this portrait of Jacques Cousteau. I don't know why. I saw a picture of him. He had the iconic red hat and a blue shirt and a sort of mischievous looking old guy doing what he loves. And I really love witnessing people doing what they love. That lights me up. So when I sat down to draw Jacques, I was just doing a line drawing. Part of what I'm working on this year is to think about backgrounds. And so I was thinking, I wonder what kind of wallpaper would be hanging in Jacques Cousteau's house. So then I went down a rabbit hole, I guess, and tried to find out what kinds of marine animals and creatures Jacques Cousteau was most interested in and come up with like a wallpaper design for behind him, which then made me realize that Jacques Cousteau in 1972 was maybe not the most environmentally conscious environmental explorer Like he and his team would go down and push fish around and like (laughs) grab onto their fins. And it's appalling to see now knowing what we know. And I think he in later years owned that, owned those misdeeds, if you will. But he also had two families and like, oh my gosh. So then I was thinking, well, there must be great female oceanographers now. Jacques Cousteau, incidentally, was funded by the Guinness Company. Huh. And the CEO of Guinness at the time gave him so much money to go and do these crazy trips down to the Antarctic and bring a whole crew of people. Women were not 
given funding like that ever, not by Guinness, not by anyone. And so, of course, it's harder to find female oceanographers doing that kind of work. But there are, in fact, female oceanographers doing really interesting work. And one of them is Sylvia Earle. And so that is definitely my next portrait because she's still alive and still doing work in this field of conservation. In fact, you know what I learned? What? I'm so excited to tell you this. She met with the guys and I think it was mostly guys, who had developed Google Earth, the Google Earth technology, mm-hmm. and all of that mapping. And she said to them, well, this is really wonderful, but when are you going to do the rest of it? And they were like, what do you mean? And she said, the oceans, the ocean floor, all of that landscape. And they did it. Oh. Like, she totally influenced underwater Google. Like, you can go underwater in the Hawaiian Islands and see what the landscape is like. Mm. And like the Marianas Trench and like crazy stuff oh, like wow, that. I didn't know that. So I am really excited. I just learned it last night. That's why I'm super pumped about it. But I'm really excited to learn more about, to go on those adventures and see what I can see from my computer and to learn about what Sylvia Earle's wallpaper might look like. Yeah. We'll see. So now I'm on this, I, I don't know. I feel like I've got a little momentum for maybe a series it doesn't need to be oceanographers. Jacques Cousteau started it, and I'm grateful for him, even though he kind of misbehaved. Yeah. You could just do scientists. Or- scientists or my best friends. Yeah. You know, it'd be interesting to know what would be, besides yarn, what else would be on your wallpaper, for example. Mm. Books. Books, yarn, maybe chocolate. I do the like ballet. chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The new ballet season is starting soon. Very exciting. So I'm curious if people want to if people want to jump onto the Instagram and uh, tell me your favorite things like five to seven, and then maybe I'll draw your wallpaper <laughs> or whatever to call. I'm not sure what to call it. I was thinking it looks like corsages or assemblages because I want to have pickle jars in there too. It doesn't need to be florals and animals. Pickle jar wallpaper sounds amazing. Right? Yeah. It's very 70s. Yeah. But then pickle jars and like peony blossoms and yeah. mermaid tattoos would also be great wallpaper. Yeah. So maybe like a floralegium of things. I don't know. So I'm drawing. I'm drawing daily. Yay. And I made my fancy pants and I painted Jacques Cousteau. I'm going to keep working on him because he needs a background. So... The studio is going great. We are off to a great start for the Right? Year. Yeah. I don't, actually, I don't know if I've hit any of my dating goals because this yarn is from last year, but I still feel good. I feel good, Moving too. Along. Excellent. Yeah. All right. On the table, Harissa is just everywhere. Oh, do you have Harissa, too? Or are you just excited for me? I have Harissa, too. Oh, my gosh. Well, we cooked from Keepers, which has some oh, Harissa. No, but I found it somewhere else. So... Dinner a Love Story, I get her newsletter. And this one is on her blog, I think, as well. Carissa Roast Chicken. Because we'd also been talking about roast chicken. So this is just like one of those super simple little upgrade things. And if you bought the Harissa for something and you need something else to do with it, she gave the full how to roast your chicken. I just did my the way I normally do it. And when there's 30 minutes to go, you melt some butter, add a bunch of Harissa to it as well, and then slather it all over the chicken and let it cook. And it just gets in the nooks and crannies and just gives this 
warmth to it unless like my child you take a big wrong bite of it and it goes down the wrong pipe but (laughs) other than that delicious and then you get all the juices in the bottom and it was really good and just a little bit you know a little bit different you know how I like that yeah I in my initial search for harissa had found it at whole foods and it was only like a super spicy version and Mm -hmm. that kind of intimidated me and then recently i found it at the spanish table and they had a jar of mild they had mild like paprika i think mild smoked Mm -hmm. and spicy so i got the mild the starter version yeah and they also had a little pack of dry seasoning because the jarred mm-hmm. one is the whole sauce. Yeah. So I bought the dry seasoning too because that's what my recipe called for. Nice. And then my recipe that will probably frighten a lot of people is tofu katsu curry. Well, it comes from a cup full of kale. And every January, and I think I've talked about this before, um, Stephanie Pearl McPhee, the yarn harlot, does Veganuary. Because her family is vegan all year long. And so she posts what they eat every day to give people ideas, you know, if you're thinking about going vegan and to give you some recipes about what regular vegans eat. So I always come up with a couple good new recipes. We're not fully vegan, but... Close enough. It helps. Uh, I mean, you know, I will often just, if it calls for almond milk, I'll just use regular milk sometimes, although we do have almond milk around or throw cheese in as needed. So anyway, I do think this one would be fine with chicken. You take the tofu and you bread it like you would bread a chicken cutlet. I mean, it's it's basically a chicken katsu recipe, except you use tofu. And then you bake it. And it turned out really nice and crispy. Very delicious. I had not breaded my tofu like with, I guess it wasn't, obviously we didn't use egg. I think it was almond milk. And then you do the, the panko crumbs and then baking it for like half an hour. And it, you cut it in cute little triangles so it looked decorative. And then, and then you make a curry sauce, Japanese one. So with garlic and carrots, ginger, curry powder, turmeric, garam marsala, mirin, soy sauce, tomato puree, and then vegetable stock. You just boil it all and then blend it up. And it was pretty delicious. And as I said, I think you could do it with chicken. It would just be fine. But, you know, it's all about the sauce, really. So it did not look terribly attractive, except for the cute little tofu triangles. But the sauce was was quite tasty. And then my one that I think that people will like was a polenta lasagna, which is not any great revelation, I think, but I had forgotten that you could do this. I found it when I was looking for the link for the Christmas Eve lasagna that I had made. And I came up with like 25 great lasagna recipes, and this was one of them. And so you use the the rolls of polenta and you slice it up and you use that as your pasta base so it's gluten-free and then this one was a vegetarian one so you saute onions and red pepper and mushroom and zucchini and your marinara sauce and then the recipe called for using vegetarian sausage and we're not super fond of it it doesn't like my husband doesn't care about it my son is like, it's not real sausage. It's just annoying. <laughs> so I added a bunch more mushrooms to that, and it was just totally veggie. Bunch of cheese. This was not vegan. This was vegetarian. And I mean, with the sauce and the cheese. Uh, and the it polenta. Was, it's, it was it's rich. Yeah. And last night, 
we had our last little rainstorm, so it was perfect. Got some garlic bread, and uh, I did a Brussels sprout salad. So it was, yeah, it was really tasty. The boy said he could have used less zucchini, but again, there was plenty of sauce and cheese, so he was he was happy. And you know, I think you obviously whatever filling you want, you could do. You could change the vegetables up. You could put actual sausage in there. Be delicious. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but very, uh, there was really nothing to it. And it's things that you would probably have on hand. Anyway, I would recommend that one to anyone. Excellent. How about you? Well, my non-keeper, Smitten Kitchen keeper recipes include a Smitten Kitchen recipe <laughs> and a tried and true, sort of. So we did the brie with mushrooms that was recently on her website. Mm. Yeah. We just ate it for dinner because yeah, it was so not? filling. Yeah. And we had it with a little baguette. And when the baguette ran out, we used corn chips. <laughs> <laughs> because the pants are fancy, but we are not. Yeah. So this is the recipe where you, you roast off some mushrooms first in the oven with some seasoning and a little bit of olive oil and then you nestle the brie in for the like the final 15 minutes or whatever and the brie just melds with the mushrooms or at least it did in ours it totally lost its shape because we had cut the rind off and it was pretty great yeah. hands down great that the, would be good over pasta too probably yeah super good yeah. <laughs> i actually had it with a little bit of rice the next day for oh, lunch yeah sure I also made, upon request, chocolate chip cookies without the chips. Yeah, so, I didn't understand that. So they were naked cookies. Somebody really loves chocolate chip cookies, but without the chocolate chips. And so, I mean, I've always liked ones with a little bit less chocolate chip in them, but omitting the chocolate chip altogether, it makes it a completely different cookie. And they baked up much higher than when I put a chip in them. And they were awesome. Really, really good. So who knew? I've been making that recipe for 100 years, and I had never made a full batch. I've made a few, you know, for, an, for a kid or so that didn't like chocolate chips. But this is a full-grown adult who wow. likes chocolate but likes chipless chocolate chip cookies. Anyway, hmm. it doesn't taste like a sugar cookie. It's like a different flavor yeah. profile. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And then the rest is keepers. All right, let's do it. So Smitten Kitchen Keepers, new classics for your forever files by Deb Perlman. I would just like to say to start off, she has all of the recipes listed at the beginning, which I think is kind of a new trend. I've been noticing that and I love it. I do too. Then you can just glance through it. Yeah. I mean, the index obviously helpful as well, but when you're exploring a cookbook, it's really nice to have them all there. You can just get an idea of what is in there. Surprising no one, we're both in favor of this book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so she has several sections, including a very large vegetable section, which I will be taking you through, and a nice meat section as well, which Courtney will be taking the lead there. So we started off with breakfast anytime, which I didn't actually do too many of the breakfast ones because they were pretty glutinous, but the slumped Parmesan frittata was quite nice. I want to make the peanut butter oat and jam bars and I have all of the ingredients ready to go for the the challah cheesecake bars but they are 
it tastes like four hours. So it's not the most breakfasty thing that you can accomplish. Feels more brunchy. Yeah. But the Parmesan frittata, I think we did for dinner. I mean, it is breakfast anytime. So we had it for dinner and it was tasty. And her thing was she didn't like frittatas because you generally start them on the stovetop and then throw them in the oven to finish. And the timing was always tricky. So this one, you do your sauteing and whatnot on the stove, but then you just immediately throw it in the oven. And I think it was a little bit bigger as well. And it was, I mean, it was, it was delightful. Good. So yeah, that one was a win. And then there's a salad section. I did the two bean salad with basil vinaigrette, which was green beans and white beans. And that was good. I did the endive salad with apple matchsticks. That one I really liked. I think I did that for New Year's Eve. And I was a little bit worried because it had endive, which is really bitter, and blue cheese, which I'm not generally fond of. But with the apples and the dressing and the smoked almonds, smoked salted almonds on there, the flavors all really worked together and balanced each other, and it was delicious. I'm not sure my child liked it because he really doesn't like the bitter stuff as much, but I found it delightful, even with the blue cheese. So that was really good. And then the big green little gem salad, which, I mean, it's a basic green salad, but she has this sunflower seed, sun-dried tomato, Parmesan rubble that you make. and. Mm. I love a rubble. Yeah. So that was really great. And you put that all on the lettuce and mix it all in. I did that on Christmas Eve to go with the lobster just because it was super basic. And you still, it's mostly the the bright green lettuce and a nice vinaigrette. But yeah, the rubble was, was tasty. And it's kind of, I've done some similar things since then, just using up bits and pieces of, you know, cheese and, and nuts and stuff that are floating around my pantry. So that was good. Cool. We did the snow peas with pecorino and walnuts. Oh, yeah, that looked good. And the snow peas are not cooked. They are Mm. soaked in ice water. And that is where they get their bright green from. And apparently it will resuscitate the most wilted pea on Earth. It wasn't as bright green as it appears in the cookbook. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was awesome. I had made a side... I've been making the same side salad on repeat because... We had this big bag of pears, and so I was just doing a mixed green salad with pears and feta, like, two weeks straight, basically. Yeah. So we put the the snow peas into the salad and just sort of elevated the salad that evening. And, yeah, delicious, totally fun. My favorite recipe from this section, though, is the double shallot egg salad. Oh, how was that? This is also one of my mega ideas for the year for the for my on the table which is to make myself a proper lunch right right and so i made it yesterday for myself nobody else was home it says it's for two so guess what i have temple lunch for later today did i explain the temple lunch okay good so i have temple lunch for later and i made this beautiful egg salad which is very simple and it's pretty similar to how I make egg salad anyway. The only difference is I run it through a grater instead of chopping it up because I like a finer texture on the egg. And then the magic comes from taking a shallot, pickling half of it and and frying off the other half. And I couldn't get it super crispy, the fried shallot, and then it was sort of wilty afterward. So today I have a can of 
fried onions or whatever. What are they yeah, called? Like fried you put onions. On the green yeah. Bean. Salad, not green bean. Green yeah, bean casserole. exactly. Yeah. So I have a can of those, and I'm just going to use that as my crispy topping yeah. today. Nice. So that achieves two temple lunches for myself well done. for this week. You are checking off the goals. Totally. <laughs> so good. Uh, soups and stews. We did the winter squash soup with red onion crisp, which was delicious. This might have been my favorite of the winter squash soups that I've tried recently. Um, and the red onion crisp was super fun. That's always about like the little... Texture. Yeah. Yeah. I did the essential French onion soup, which yeah. was... Um, yeah. Obviously, I made it with vegetable stock, not beef stock, but it was still really good. You do have to spend some time with the onions, but it's not that complicated. And I'm pretty sure you could do them... Like you could either make this a weekend recipe or do them in advance and then just finish the soup in the evening. And gluten-free bread works fine. The rest of us had real bread. But yeah, that was that was delicious. And then the cozy chicken and dumplings, which I talked about last time. The chicken part was delicious. My dumplings were gluten-free. So uh, I mean, they were t- <laughs> <laughs> they were dumplings. They were tasty. I think I think it could have been better, but the chicken part was really delicious. I didn't have any soups. You're you're gonna you're about to take it away here. Yes, vegetables. It's a huge vegetable section, and she divides it into small, medium, and big. So, like the small would be ones that you maybe just do as a side dish or part of a snacky dinner kind of thing. Medium or more, well, they're medium sized, and then then bigger, big full meals worth of vegetables. So from the small, I did the charred salt and vinegar cabbage which sounds kind of weird, but her theory was it's basically like salt and vinegar potato chips and you're you're getting your, your cabbage kind of crispy and delicious as you do with like if you roast broccoli or whatever, you get it that sounds nice great. charge. And it was, it was quite tasty. It did make a ton and I don't know that we did anything with the leftovers, so I need to, to work on that, but flavor was great. And then the braised winter squash wedges, Kind of the theory with her melting potatoes where you're, you're, you know, braising it while roasting it. And so that was, that was delicious as well. From the medium vegetables, the green angel hair with garlic butter, which is the cover recipe. I had some problems with this. Totally user error. I figured it was going to be like the other two green pastas that we had made. Yeah, there's one from Simply Julia and one from Tuesday nights. Weekend vegetarians. Weekend vegetarian. Yeah. And it is not... It is just spinach, I think, but the difference is you roast an entire head of garlic and blend that into your pesto sauce. So it is more garlicky than multiple greens. And I did not really take the time (laughs) it takes to roast a whole head of garlic into account. So it was a little, little frustrating for me, but very garlicky and delicious. I think maybe I didn't even have an entire head of garlic. I like didn't really read the recipe. I was like, oh, it's green stuff. I'll be fine. So possibly not as garlicky as it should have been. But that one will need revisiting now that I know what has to be done. The soy glazed tofu with crisp rice was delicious. The crisp rice was fun. I think I actually over crisped it. Tofu, it's got a soy glaze. It was tasty. It's I've done similar things. But the crisp rice, you start off with a rice kind of pancake, but then you break it up so you have you have the nice textury stuff going on nuggets yeah so that was good cauliflower cheese baked potato was probably my biggest fail oh i have all the ingredients for that one yeah well like it started off i cut my baked potatoes 
open and they were from the organic farm and they were a little too organic for me. <laughs> the critters had gotten to them, I think. So I had They to, were not vegetarian. <laughs> they were not vegetarian. So I had to to rethink that in the middle of doing it. But the cauliflower cheese is basically like an you know, like a mac and cheese sauce, so I think I just threw together some pasta and I don't know. My sauce was too thick, so it was a little more gloopy. So it was, it was good in theory. Uh, it did not work out for me personally. In the big veg, I did the creamy coconut rice with chili and lime vegetables. The coconut rice, the timing on that always messes me up. It was baked, which was great. And I'm not sure if I didn't have enough rice or... It, I don't know. It, it I had to bake it for longer than it said I should have. But the chili lime vegetables were fantastic. Super simple. You just roast off the vegetables and then you make a chili lime vinaigrette that you dump on top of them. Mm. So bright. Such a nice contrast. It was such a great flavor. I really, really liked that one. I'm excited to cook more of these veg recipes when it's not such a boy heavy house. Okay. I've still got both kids home, so it's been... I'm focusing on that meat section. Yeah. Let's hear about it. All right. Meat and one perfect plate of shrimp. Well, the first recipe that I cooked from this book and I was so excited about was the Angry Grandma Sicilian Pizza, which is completely nostalgic and awesome and perfect, and I love it. I couldn't get the dough to rise because our house is cold, but next time I'm going to try an overnight rise in the fridge and I think the flavor will develop and it will be equally awesome and great and perfect. I did the toppings that she recommended were almost like a pepperoni and some red onion, really nice, simple toppings. And then I did for the kids like a sausage one and I did another one with sausage and mushroom and we had people over and it was so good. Nice pillowy, thick crust on it. It cooked it cooks in like a nine by 12 pan, I guess, like a cake pan. I loved it. And it made me think of my Sicilian grandma, whether she was angry. I don't know. Oh, the angry part comes from the Diavolo, that sauce that you mm. mix up for it. Fabulous. Loved it. And then we did, I'm going to be a little bit out of order from the cookbook, but we did the turkey meatloaf for skeptics. And I wasn't skeptical. I knew it would be great. But I did forget the tomato paste and it was still good. So don't forget the tomato paste because I'm sure that it makes it even better. Yep. And then a sleeper hit was the fettuccine with white ragu. Oh, yeah. This was kind of a slow cooked pasta or a slow cooked sauce. So this feels like a sauce built off of the mirepoix. Just the simple onion carrot, celery, which I love, garlic, and ground pork. And it just cooks for a while. There's huge depth of flavor to this. I might have added the milk when it was a little bit too hot because it did split. Mm. And so next time I will be more careful about that. But it totally, when it rendered down a little bit, you couldn't tell. Like I didn't ruin it. It barely fed all four of us because it was so good. Like there was plenty. Let's be straight about that. But then we did the chicken with rice, chorizo, and tomato. Oh, I wanted, I was thinking about that one. This was such a crowd pleaser. It calls for chicken thigh, which is not my favorite. 50% of the house 
likes chicken thigh and 50% doesn't Mm. since I'm cooking. I just skipped that step, the saute off the chicken thigh, made the whole thing and then added in cubed chicken breast and it worked Mm. perfectly. Then we did the... So it's a little bit like paella. It is like a paella. Okay, yeah. Yeah. The chorizo is the is the savior of that dish though it's really great then we did the oven braised beef with harissa it was a four pound chuck roast for six people i think it was kind of family dinner absolutely spot on i followed it to a t the meat was beautiful it fed six of us there wasn't anything left over (laughs) the only step that i forgot was you're supposed to like nestle half half and half of a garlic head, Mm. like the whole head of garlic in there. You just chop it in half and then you squeeze out the roasted garlic afterward. And I forgot to do that, but it was still awesome. And that concludes my meat flight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I did do the raclette tartiflette. Oh, tell us. It was delicious. It's basically like a potato gratin. So that's delicious. And it's supposed to have prosciutto, some sort of smoked meat in it. But she says you can put mushrooms in. So I did that instead and because we're mushroom fans and it was delicious. And she does it as part of, because she always has little stories at the beginning, she does it usually as part of a dinner party because it's just like cheesy and gooey and warm and European and you, know, you have a nice white wine. And I think she does oysters at the beginning. You know, she'll do it like for a very fancy New Year's Eve, but it's fancy but comforting. And it was delicious. Very rich. Gruyere cheese. Um, it was yum, so good. So that was my my venture into the meat section, which did not actually involve any meat. So someday I do want to do the the chicken and the chorizo and rice. That was my other option for the evening when I made the chicken the and dumplings. dumplings. Yeah, but I I wanted to go with something with gluten in it, and then I didn't. Oh well. And then the sweets, cookies, bars, tarts, crisps. A well-deserved creme brulee and cakes. There are four sections of sweets. She likes her desserts. She does. I did. Uh, I made the apple butterscotch crisp. Nice. Which was delicious. So you make a butterscotch and then you saute the apples in it before you do all the crispy baking. And it was delicious. And I'm pretty sure you had leftover butterscotch sauce. Never a bad thing. Also fantastic because you do have to have vanilla ice cream to serve with it. And then so then the next day... Because all of your crisp will be gone because you had it for breakfast, you will have leftover vanilla ice cream and butterscotch sauce, which is plenty tasty on its own. Absolutely. We did the, I keep saying we because I had a friend in town and she helped me do all of these cooking, these um, these recipes. So thanks, Kelly. She got it for her sister for Christmas. So I'm excited to see what they are making up. We baked off the chocolate peanut butter cup cookies, oh. the big, thick, domed, chocolatey thing with the peanut butter inside. I doubled it because Why not? I have noticed that sometimes her cookie recipes are petite, yes. and I don't mind putting some in the freezer. So I doubled this guy. What you have to do is mix up the peanut butter filling first and put it in the freezer. And so I had followed the instructions and measured them out really carefully and had all of these cute little peanut butter balls freezing in my fridge and then followed the instructions for the exterior cookie shell. And then basically you sculpt a little cookie 
exterior, push the frozen peanut butter in and wrap it around like a meatball and then cover it in sugar, dust it off in sugar, whatever, and bake them off. And they don't take long to bake because you're just cooking that outer shell. The inside is doesn't need to be baked off. It's not, it's just peanut butter and sugar. So I had 36 peanut butter balls, but I did not have enough exterior to cover them all by a lot. (laughs) So I think I did it too thick. The cookie part Mm. was too thick, even though it looked proportional, but you know, I didn't weigh it or anything. So, so I still have some frozen peanut butter scoops in the fridge. So I could make another batch, I guess, and use them up. Dip them in melted chocolate, couldn't you? Or just eat them. They're pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So they were awesome, though. Bottom line is they yielded yielded a gorgeous cookie and everybody was super impressed with them. And maybe they were too big because everybody was saying, wow, this is really filling. I'm quite (laughs) this is quite rich. So maybe a little user error on that one. However, on the whole, I found this to be a really fun cookable cookbook. Yeah. And she finishes off with sips and snacks, which I did not get around to trying, but there are some... Yeah, thank you for including them. Good th- good things in there, and many desserts that I also want to try still. Yeah, and I feel like when when seasons roll through, you know, and we're in strawberry season or wh- what have you, there's a lot of summery recipes in here that I'll circle yeah. back around. This is one that's going to stay on the shelf and... Or, sorry come off the shelf and onto the counter quite often. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a a classic Deb Perlman book. If you liked her other ones, you'll like this one. It's got her cute little stories, you know, that she always tells about the food and why she's making it and what it was inspired by. I think the instructions are clear. It makes a good amount of food. It does. You don't need to really, I mean, you can My cookie problem aside. Yeah. You can still double it, but it's it's generally plenty of food. If she says it's going to serve six, it will actually serve six. I think the two really stellar recipes for me was was the angry grandma pizza and that sleeper hit, that white ragu fettuccine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, the, the chili lime vegetables was surprising. I keep thinking about that. I think for me, it was a lot of like the little... Little things like putting the smoked almonds in the salad or the, the rubble in the gem salad. So just lots of little little tricks, the crisp rice, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm eager to dive into the veg yeah. section. Yeah. So, you know, obviously a winner. If you have been cooking from it, let us know what you have enjoyed. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll be hearing more about it in the coming months as For we sure. get to the, the spring and the summer recipes. That was, yeah, that was kind of the limiting factor. Yeah. Um, for some of them. Okay. All right. On the nightstand. First, I have Blitz by Daniel O'Malley. This is the third book in his Rook Files series. Although they all, they take place in the same world, but they all have different heroines. So you really could read them in, uh, you could read them in any order. It wouldn't really terribly much matter. The world it takes place in is the world of the Sheke, which is a super secret government organization that is tasked with protecting the British Isles from supernatural creatures, evil supernatural monsters. And they do this by 
finding the people who have supernatural powers and recruiting them, collecting them really, and training them to be warriors to protect their non-powered compatriots. So it's kind of like the CIA, MI6. Plus aliens. Plus aliens. Mm. Super fun. Which is like Men in Black. (laughs) It is kind of like Men in Black. But it's a very British organization, and they have existed for a thousand, no, more than a thousand years, like forever. So like since Roman times, I mean, just forever. So there's a lot of traditions. And so in this story, this one actually is is two uh, parallel tales going on. In the first one, it is during the Blitz. So London, 1940, and a German plane has gone down in London, and one of the crew members is missing, and no one should have survived. So where did he go? People, bodies are turning up that are electrocuted, but the clothing isn't damaged in any way. So they now suspect there is a Nazi with powers on the loose in London. So the members of the Sheke that we are focusing on are searching for him to try and save London. And the other story is in the now. Lynette Bins is uh, a librarian, a wife and mother, and one day comes home and she starts shooting red electricity sparks out of her skin and sets her kitchen on fire. So she's taken in by the Sheke and trained and given a job working for them. And a report comes across her desk of bodies being found, electrocuted. And it's, as far as she knows, and as far as the Sheke knows, she is the only person in the world with this power. So she knows that she'll be suspected of killing them. So she takes off to try and figure out who is committing these crimes because she knows it's not her. So you have the the two stories going back and forth. Obviously, they're going to end up being related because of the electricity thing. It's a super fun adventure story. You get a little bit of the history, London during the Blitz. He does go off on tangents and will tell you very long, like 20-page random stories of the history of the Sheke, which is really interesting, but also completely unrelated to anything. Um, Take, takes you out of the narrative a yeah. little bit. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's fun. It's interesting. He clearly had this great idea, but the book ends, it's already a 600 page book. Mm. It could have cut back a little bit. But other than that, it was really good. I enjoyed all of these books. The first one, The Rook, I think is still my favorite in this series, but this one was really good as well. And then another kind of fantasy one, Acts of Violet by Margarita Montemore. This one I listened to. I found it because I was looking for some more audiobooks. So I just did a search for best audiobooks of 2022. And this came up on one of the lists. And I realized I had read a book by this author, Una Out of Order, probably two years ago, uh, and really enjoyed it. And it was about a young woman who lives her life normally until she gets to her 21st birthday. And then she wakes up the next day and she's 30. And then she lives her 30th year or 31st year. And then she wakes up and she's 26. So she starts living her life out of order. So it's basically like a normal person, but there's this one little weird magic thing. And so I expected this would be something similar. And it was. It's the story of Sasha who is living in the same town she grew up in with her husband and her daughter, who's about to graduate college. Her older sister was a famous stage magician who disappeared during a comeback performance 10 years ago, like vanished. She was in the middle of doing a vanishing trick and she just never reappeared. And so nobody knew if she had done it on purpose, like she was running away from tax evasion or something, 
or if she'd been kidnapped, and they never found out. So the 10th anniversary is coming up. She had a ton of fans. She was super famous. So there's going to be a candlelight vigil. There's books coming out, documentaries, and a podcast. And so the other half of the the book is the podcast transcript going into her sister, who was Violet, her history, childhood, how she became a magician. So talking to people she had worked with, her ex-husband, you know, all of these things. And, and they're hoping to get the sister, who has never said anything about their relationship, uh, hoping to get her on the podcast because they were estranged. So it's going into all their family history. So the really cool, so it was a great book. I would have enjoyed it if I had read it. The fun part is that they really leaned into the audio part of this. It was a full cast performance. They really did the podcast to sound like a podcast. So they had someone, you know, so they had someone reading Sasha's part, but then they had someone being the podcaster. They had different people being interviewed. When they went um, on location to the candlelight vigil, they did the crowd sounds. So they really just got into the whole thing. It was super well done and just made the whole thing just that little bit more interesting. So as an audiobook, I really enjoyed it for that as well. That sounds great. Yeah, it was fun. And then the other audiobook I listened to was In at the Death by Francis Duncan, which is another one in the Mordecai Tremaine series. This is the third one of his uh, that I've read. He is going kind of full Sherlock Holmes on us now. He's got a buddy who works for Scotland Yard who is now bringing him in on his cases as a consultant. It's a country doctor has been found murdered, which wouldn't necessarily get Scotland Yard called in, except there were two other murders within the past month or two that haven't been solved by the local police. So they've been brought in. There's secrets, you know, as there are. It's just a very nice, classic English murder mystery. So I enjoyed that very much. Uh, Then I read Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner. This was a book club pick, because otherwise I probably would not have read it. (sighs) What to say about Wallace Stegner? (laughs) He's a really good writer. I would say. It was a very interesting book. It is the story of two couples who meet. Uh, The husbands are entry-level university professors at the University of Wisconsin in the late 30s. And it's the story of their, the relationship between the couples over the next 40 or so years. I guess he wrote it to do a quiet story. Like, there's nothing super heroic. There's nothing super dramatic that happens it's just the the relationship between these four people and the different kinds of relationships right because the husbands are both friends the wives are both friends and then you know they get together as as couples and there's the relationships between the husbands and what you know so all the different things going on and and things happen they like go sailing and a little storm comes up and they capsize you know so it's kind of how people are And the writing is really beautiful. His sense of place is amazing. The people are very authentic. So it's an interesting book. I just, I guess I need something more to happen in in my stories. And I'm really bummed I didn't, I didn't make the discussion. I had a cold over the weekend. and, And so I was recovering from that. And I just was not ready to do an intellectual discussion about this. So... It's okay to not yeah. like a quieter book. I had read Angle of Repose maybe 20 years ago. Yeah same thing I didn't love it so when this was suggested I was like okay I think I appreciated it more at this point in my life right Um, so you know and there were a lot of interesting things it would have been a really good book to talk about so 
might be for you. It's not my favorite. What I did really enjoy was Shipwrecked by Olivia Dade. <laughs> it is a romance. It is a romp. It is the third in her series. Peter and Maria meet in LA. They have a hot night together. And then she ghosts him until the next day when they both show up at the final audition to be on a TV show. They both get cast. They become world famous. They are Their characters are shipwrecked on an island. So they get to spend the next six years of their lives being the only two cast members on this island off the Irish six coast. Six years? It's a very, it's like a very famous TV show. So it like has a lot of seasons and, oh. but their characters are just trapped on this island. Like that is their role. So they are just, it's the two of them and like the small crew. So they work some things out and, you know, eventually, eventually get together and, you know, but then there's there's problems and they're not together. And so it was interesting because it was a little bit different because you know that they're interested, but they both decide, but now we're work partners and we're trapped on this island for six years, essentially. So we're not going to have anything happen. So there's this whole long slow burn of them knowing they're interested, but not. And they had all these problems at the beginning. So it was an interesting, it wasn't quite your usual romance arc. And you know, she continues with, uh, she likes to have I mean, non-traditional characters. Both of these characters are fat, and that is part of the theme of the book, and they also go into into that. They are very confident in themselves and, you know. Bo body positive. Body, it's a very body positive Great. book series, yeah. I'm all for that. And then The World We Make by N.K. Jemison, which is the second and final book in her great cities series duology it was going to be a trilogy and then things got so wacky after she published the first one that she was like i couldn't do it she wanted to finish it she felt bad if she was gonna the, to leave people hanging so she made herself write this book so it was probably not quite as good as the first one but you know came to a nice conclusion so in this world um, cities once they've been a around long enough and have enough personality become alive and an avatar is chosen to be the city and new york has so many things it gets both a new york avatar and an avatar for each of the boroughs and they all come together and there's uh an evil city trying to destroy them and so they have to fight her and save the spirit of new york it was super fun it's really good the other cities of the world come help out to save the universe kind of thing and so it's it's amusing to see how she portrays paris and london and istanbul and hong kong so it'll be interesting to see what she comes up with next and then finally earth eater by dolores race translated by julia sanchez this is my argentina book for the storygraph reading the world challenge uh, it's pretty short. It's like a hundred and something pages. Earth Eater is a young woman, lives in Argentina with her older brother. Mom has died. Dad's taken off. Aunt started taking care of them and then took off when our heroine started eating Earth and seeing dead people. She could tell what had happened to them. It goes on from there and she becomes involved in finding missing mostly girls and women, but there's also some young boys in there as well. So it's it's not a happy book. It's making a statement about working class women and police not looking for them. I think this applies to a lot of, I mean, indigenous and native women in North America. So it was it was really interesting, well written, a little bit mysterious. 
and then there was an interesting note about the translation at the end, which is always really cool. The problems of translating gendered language into English, which does not have genders. So that was really cool. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed it, and that was a good good start to my uh, my reading the world. Excellent. How about you? I have three for you today. What order to... Hmm. Mm. It's always so fun. Okay, I read The Seed Keeper. I picked this up at the library because the cover was oh, just exquisite. Yeah. It's by Diane Wilson. This is a multi-generational story about a Dakota, a native Dakota family in the Minnesota area. It unfolds over generations, but there's time jumping back and forward. The main character is Rosalie Ironwing, and she is present day, and she's orphaned by her native parents at a pretty young age, and she goes into the foster care system. The foster care system with native children has done catastrophic damage, and Rosalie is is not immune to that, but she marries out of her foster care program, actually. She marries a white man, and he is a farmer. And farming is a huge part of Minnesotan industry even now. I think this is taking place in like the, maybe the 70s. Big industry and fertilizer companies are trying to get the farmers to use heavy fertilizers in their soils and then also there is a seed company that wants to wants to make every farmer buy it sounds a lot like the Monsanto dilemma it's sort of fictionalized but to very similar consequences to the land and the water systems and how Rosalie as a native and with a deep tradition of seed keeping in her family strives to understand and combat that it's not an easy read, but it's very compelling, and the characters are beautiful, and it is definitely worth picking up if that interests you. Then I read The Changeling. They did a re-release. This is Joy Williams, and this is the 40th anniversary oh, wow. of The Changeling. I picked it up because it had like a cute fox on the cover and really sweet endpapers, and I totally judged, again, this book by the cover. I didn't know anything about it going into it. And it is the story of Pearl. Like she's late teens, again, marries for security and has a child. And then there's a tragedy. The rest of the book is her reckoning with her self, her motherhood, her feminism. And I have to say that this is my first time reading this, and I think I have to read it three more times. Oh, wow. It was really a difficult book, and it is, I think, lauded as a very feminist novel, and I'm not quite sure why, because I don't feel like Pearl has very much agenda, and she is very lost, and I have a hard time with that. So I'm struggling to figure out how I feel about this book. Then I read Nuclear Family by Joseph Hahn. This is a new debut novel. I think The Seed Keeper is a debut novel too. But anyway, Nuclear Family, this is about a South Korean family that immigrates to Hawaii 
out of necessity. They raise their family there. And then the main story is about the two kids whose names I'm going to forget, a sister and a brother. And the sister is kind of a stoner, and she is trying to be a good Korean daughter and help her parents, but she has aspirations for herself beyond the family restaurant chain. And then her brother travels back to South Korea and gets, I'm not sure what he's doing there. He's trying to find himself, but he gets picked up at the DMZ. That's the North Korea, South Korea border, because he is being haunted by his grandfather, who in Korean culture, you need to honor and sort of feed and pay attention to your beloved dead ancestors. And so this is part immigrant story, part ghost story, definitely a family drama, but there's humor to it. And there's a major underlying complexity about the role that the U.S. played in everything that's going on in the Korean Peninsula, as well as Hawaiian statehood. You know, that that island chain was really a very convenient military point for the U.S. and how that has ramifications even today. I am not a historian or a Korean scholar or Pacific Islander scholar, but it is, I think, an important, it's an important point to be aware of. And so this book has a lot going on. And I think it's an incredible undertaking because it's also enjoyable, even though the, the situation for these people is tenuous at times. So I really liked it. And that's the family, the nuclear family by Joseph Hahn. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. So that is it from us. Until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.